I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Who are we? We are two best friends and two comedians who had enough time to read a full book a week. So if you are interested in celebrities, in literature, in a good time with your pals, tune into Celebrity Memoir Book Club. The podcast where we read the book so that you don't have to. You can listen to Celebrity Memoir Book Club wherever you get your podcasts. And we can't wait to hang. Okay. Hatch closed. We're seated. And you can hear the guy outside unhooking us from the ship. And he leaves us and we're there, bobbing on the surface, waiting for the go. Permission to dive, 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 dive. Unexplainable has been exploring the most extreme places on the planet. And this week, we're going to the deepest place on Earth. I was like, holy moly, that is deep. (laughs) Just the feeling of, you know, being at that depth, we're literally a tiny dot. If you think how vast the ocean is. Listen to Unexplainable for new episodes every Wednesday. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. And we're coming to you with an emergency bonus episode in the wake of the largest U.S. banking failure since the 2008 financial crisis and the second largest ever. As you know by now, prominent tech lender Silicon Valley Bank, the 16th largest bank in the country, is now under control of the FDIC, along with nearly $175 billion in customer deposits. Joining us now to break it all down is Bill Cohen, William D. Cohen, best-selling author, financial journalist, founding partner of Puck News, and a former banker. So welcome, Bill. Great to be here, Kara and Scott. Thank you for having me. So I'm gonna, I want you to do a quick summary of what's happened. Why don't you start? I have a lot of statistics, et cetera. But why don't you tell us where we are and what happened so far that we know? Well, I mean, uh, it's probably anybody who's listening to this knows by now the rough outlines is that this bank literally uh, went into receivership taken over by the FDIC in something over 24 hours, uh, seemed to be okay on Wednesday night, and by Thursday night uh, the stock had lost uh, something like 70% of its value, uh, and then on Friday was taken over. Uh, And what was the cause of this? Um, a lot of bad decisions by the bank's management, specifically, I think, uh, to uh, invest a lot of uh, their uh, depositors' money in overpriced bonds and mortgage-backed securities and treasuries that uh, had lost a tremendous amount of value as the Fed pivoted uh, to raise interest rates. Uh, And then as uh, rumors started circulating about troubles at the bank and depositors wanted their money out, it was a classic run on the bank. Uh, They had to sell uh, the securities that they had on their balance sheet at a big loss, and that just exacerbated the problem. So management error, big-time problem. And, of course, the Fed's 13-year infatuation with zero interest rates also played a big part in this. 
Right, and this run, which, you know, it, it, at first it said it was people could get a sense of it because they raised, they wanted to raise $2.25 billion in funds from new investors. Um, they were talking about it. And so people in the venture community are very smart about this. And they withdrew $42 billion in funds by the end of the day Thursday. Specific venture capitalists are having the fingers pointed to them more than others. Um, and that also caused it. Uh, so it went from a market cap of more than $15 billion to FDIC control in 48 hours. I mean, so, you know, you have to ask yourself why people exacerbated the failing. I mean, if people just stayed calm and didn't run for the exits, now you know, then this probably wouldn't have happened. People could also exacerbate the fall, which they chose to do for whatever reason, um, maybe competitive reasons, maybe to take out a big player that they didn't like. I mean, basically the same thing happened uh, with Bear Stearns 15 years ago. So to me, it's a little deja vu all over again. As usual, Bill, I think Bill's spot on. I, I think of it as kind of two things. One is the age old story of how financial institutions go out of business. And that is mismatched durations. And that is you, you, you uh, invest long and you borrow short. And that is they invested in kind of securities, which by the way, weren't risky securities, aren't securities that other banks don't hold. And, but it had a three-year maturity. And then they borrowed short, and that is anyone, any depositor could get their, ask for their money back and was expected to get their money back on 24 hours notice, if not 60 minutes notice. So when VC-backed companies uh, didn't do, aren't doing as well and they need their money out, uh, you have a mismatch. You have a bunch of money that can get out right away, and they have uh, that money has been invested in securities that have a long-term maturity. Uh, the other thing that no one's really is fairly unanticipated or historic since 1979 is the federal funds rate has gone from 25 bips to 475. So when they purchase three-year maturity bonds in one year. Uh, all of a sudden, those bonds are worth a lot less. And then when people start pulling money and they need to fund those withdrawals, they have to go into the market and sell those securities at a discount and take a loss. And all of a sudden, they're in a, a liquidity crunch. That is the age-old story of how hedge funds and alternative investment companies come out, go out of business. What was less expected here and really interesting or more novel is concentration risk. And that is, we knew they were concentrated in an industry but I think when the forensics on this are done, you're going to find out that maybe as few as 20 people, specifically tier one VCs, called, and I got that call from one of these tier one VCs, who have maybe 50 portfolio companies, decided on Wednesday or Thursday morning to go into a war room mentality and said, call every CEO of our portfolio companies and tell them to get their money out now. And when your VC calls you and tells you to get your money out, you get your money out. So it, just do the math. 20 big time VCs, 50 portfolio companies, that's 1,000 companies, average of 10 or 20 million. You're talking about 10 to 20 billion right there. So we not only didn't, I don't think people realize that the concentration wasn't even just a sector specific concentration but it was concentrated to a couple dozen individuals. I don't think anyone saw that coming. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. Bill, talk about this, because you and I talked about this. There's a lot of, there's a group of VCs that said, we stand together with the bank. Missing from those were Andreessen Horowitz, Sequoia, and Peter Thiel's 
uh, Founders Fund, it looks like he got his money out. Um, it doesn't, mm-hmm. he wasn't exposed. Talk about that. And you know, a lot of people on Twitter and other ways are speculating that it was a plan to do this. It's an open question right now whether there was a, an organized conspiracy by smart people to take advantage of this situation, which does happen. I mean, look at a short squeeze, which occurred uh, occurs uh, lots of times. Uh, it occurred, uh, you know, Bill Ackman, very smart uh, hedge fund manager, decided to short herbal life and then was squeezed to near death by Carl Icahn and Dan Loeb, two other smart hedge fund guys. So, it, you know, it does happen. What uh, I have no idea what A16Z or Sequoia or Peter Thiel might have against this bank, but, you know, they did make themselves vulnerable. I think the big question to me, Kara and Scott, is why in the world would they invest their depositors' excess money, that money that is not in loans, in the the bond market at a time when the bond market was uninvestable. Everybody knew that zero interest rate policies, which had been going on for 13 years, was going to end. So everybody knew that if you bought a bond at par, you were going to get hammered on a mark-to-market basis as interest rates rose. You didn't know when they were going to rise, but you knew that interest rates could not stay at zero any longer. And now they've risen very, very quickly, as you pointed out, and they got hammered when they had to liquidate. I mean, that is that is malpractice in my Give mind. Give us a what for. Why would they do that? Since I, you knew, you've been writing about it for two years now, the, the party was over. The punch bowl Yield was, hunger games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yield hunger games. D- desperate for yield. Didn't want to just keep it in cash because cash is trash, right? So they they go for yield. And they got a little bit more yield. It cost them their bank. Cost them their bank. So I understand the domino effect here, uh, both of you. The Silicon Valley Bank is at the epicenter. The aftershocks are all over the place, possibly or not, because a lot of Silicon Valley people are like, this is the end times. All banks will be. That's their little scare trope going on. Some people are like, oh, maybe not. It's just this one bank. Um, Janet Yellen's expressing confidence, which she has to do in banking regulators to make sure this, it doesn't take the whole financial system down. This happened before with the Washington Mutual, as I recall. Uh, the New York Times reported investors were dumping peer stock, though, a First Republican signature bank. Uh, There's lots of banks that saw a fall off. And we'll talk about what happens to people's money because Vox Media itself has a lot of cash in Silicon Valley Bank. We'll get to that in a second. But what, what's the after effects? First, first you, Bill. Too early to say, Kara. We haven't heard from the Fed. At least I haven't heard from uh, Jay Powell. Uh, very quiet on the Fed front. Uh, you know, in by this time in the Bear Stearns saga, fifteen years ago, we'd heard a lot from the Fed. Now, uh, obviously, uh, Silicon Valley Bank was not Bear Stearns. It's not at the epicenter of the financial system. It's not in the left ventricle of capitalism, but. Uh, it is, as you said, a very uh, important bank, uh, and not just in Silicon Valley. I mean, startups across the country and even in the world. I heard from the CEO of a startup uh, in Vienna who called me and to tell me hmm. that he had 80% of his uh, company's assets, liquid assets, tied up in Silicon Valley Bank. And he's like, okay, my Renoir just got cut from nine months to six months. I'm kind of a little worried. Uh, so... You know, anything could still happen. The bank's assets could be bought. Uh, somebody could come in and buy the whole bank. Or, you know, it could go to liquidation, and that's going to be trouble. What 
is the best case scenario for depositors here? Now, they have the $250,000 that seems very small for most of these people per account, which some people think should be higher. The assets are, are allegedly there that they could, that's why the, the government shut it down from being able to, people to take money out. But what could happen? It takes a while to get your money back if you're paid in full at all. Is that correct? That's that's correct. Now, the FDIC has created these dividend certificates, I guess, and the idea is that uh, they can pay a dividend out on those certificates after above, over and above the 250000 relatively quickly. Uh, I think in IndyMac, they paid a special dividend out of like 50% of what was deposited over and above the uh, 250000 so that could be coming, and then it'll just be It'll take time after that to see what happens. Obviously, if you've got $3 billion like Circle there, mm-hmm. you know, you got a lot of worry right you know, now. Keep getting it back. Scott, you had a front row seat to this. You serve on boards of companies in the bank that with SBB. What are you seeing? So there, there's a lot of layers to this. First off, the, the fear is that there's some sort of systemic risk to the entire banking industry, right? That there could be, you know, lines around the block to get your money out. I don't think that's the case here. I think that was a real risk in 2008. But if you look at the stress tests all banks have to go through now, they essentially imagine each of the last three recessions, imagine the perfect storm, them all hitting at once, and make sure they have capital reserve requirements, make sure that securities and investments they're invested in are just of a much higher quality. What Bill's talking about is, in terms of logistically what happens, your $250,000 gets delivered to you on Monday, they make an estimate of what is almost sort of guaranteed in the bank that they can recover right away and say it's 50% of all deposits. They issue that dividend. And then the rest goes into some sort of like the court administrator. As they recover it, it, doles it out, and that takes a while. I don't think that happens. I I think, and I'm I'm speculating here, uh, I think on Monday they announce a deal and depositors are made whole. The unintended consequence here is a few things. One, you would have just crazy things such as a SaaS company can't make its payroll or its SVB credit card gets shut off and there's just all sorts of weird things happening everywhere. Companies that are doing well have to start laying off people. There's just going to be story after story of weird unintended consequences when a company all of a sudden doesn't have access to its capital. The more creeping and insidious problem here is the following. And that is not a run on the banks, but a slow run towards monopoly power. And that is, imagine it plays out as it's supposed to play out right now. It goes into receivership, you get some but not all of your money and you have to wait for the rest, 60, 70, 90 cents on the dollar. What VC is gonna invest in any company without a condition that says you have to put all proceeds into one of five banks that have over two trillion in assets. What niche regional bank survives when this type of black swan event can take out what is arguably the strongest niche bank in America? When that happens, you have higher fees, you have a less robust banking system. I think right now they're in a war room, all of the smart people at the Fed and at the the banking regulators are going, this clears out two-thirds of American banks slowly but surely. Because who on earth, after looking at what happened here, this wasn't fraud. 
This wasn't commingling of funds. This wasn't investing in no-doc loans. This wasn't commingling assets and investing in shitty crypto companies or tokens. This was, they invested in bonds. They got caught on the wrong side of interest rates, run on the bank, inspired by probably a, a couple dozen individuals. Who is going to put their money into a regional bank or anything less than $2 trillion. So I think there will be huge incentive for the government to figure this out. And then on the flip side of that, I think what's happening right now, and I have no inside information, is that over the weekend, we're gonna transition from fear to greed. And that is a big bank, a David Solomon, a Jamie Dimon, is gonna say to, to Powell, or whoever's running this show right now, or to Yellen, you, you just take the government bonds. You can hold them for three years. You're, you can borrow at lower rates than we can. You're not going to lose that much money. I'm going to step in, and overnight, I'm going to be the premier bank in the tech, tech sector where one out of two VC-backed companies bank with me. And overnight, I'm going to do in 24 hours what took SVB 24 years to build. And I don't think it'll be that expensive for the government. I think it'll be the most elegant acquisition in the history of financial services. And overnight, a bulge bracket investment bank is going to go to zero to 60 in tech. All right. So, Bill, what do you think is because they didn't have the greatest experience last time, right? There were some problems with when the government worked out different banks buying other banks. So talk about with this many assets under control, it is an attractive target. Who, who are the likely buyers in that case? And is that a good would that, do you think that's going to happen? Let me just uh, add one other thing to what Scott said. Uh, what I'm also hearing, uh, Scott, is that venture capital firms are already talking about supporting yeah. their portfolio companies by providing the payroll dollars on a zero-interest loan basis that uh, they would otherwise be using Silicon Valley Bank for, just to get over sort of a form of bridge loan to help out in this you know, difficult time. So that might keep uh, at bay the, the, the worry that you just expressed about the consolidation, further consolidation of power into the you know, big five uh, banks or whatever they are these days. Uh, so it's important, Kara, to, to remember that the Fed has not let any of the SIFI banks, mm -hmm. the systemically important financial institutions, buy you know anything uh, in hmm. uh, since the financial crisis? Uh, so the Fed has to approve that. They're the prudential regulator of Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, you know whether they would permit uh, a, an acquisition, a, a WAMU style acquisition. J.P. Morgan Chase, do you remember about WAMU uh, uh, in, after it had been seized by the FDIC? Uh, you know, perhaps or they bought out of it what they wanted, uh, just like they did with Bear Stearns. They left $30 billion of assets behind that they didn't want. Uh, you know, could some sort of structured acquisition with the Fed's approval happen? I mean, if I were David Solomon at Goldman Sachs, I would be, you know, looking at this immediately. That would get, you know, the research analysts off my back about Marcus and, uh, you know, Green Sky in a real hurry. Yeah. But it has um, to be approved by the Fed, right? Correct. It has to be approved by the and Fed. And the Fed, Mark Cuban had posited that the Fed should buy up the bank. That seems unlikely. I don't think the Fed buys up they, banks. They, they don't it want to be in this business. Yeah. Other banks to buy. Yeah. 
yeah. other banks. Yeah, yeah. deals just like up. it did with long-term capital management. Yeah. It basically forced Wall Street to bail out that hedge fund. That's right, and they have that ability to force them. And this Absolutely. is an opportunity. This is a possible greedy opportunity. A coalition of VC firms, including Lightspeed Venture, put out a statement saying they'd urge their portfolio companies to resume business with the bank if it's purchased and fixed. Also, because he cannot stay out, and if any controversy, uh, Elon Musk said he's open to buying Silicon Valley Bank and making it a digital-only oh, bank. I feel like that's not going to happen. Either of you? Uh, can Except we just not Obama. talk about him yes. in this context okay. for Good. once? I'm just saying. Well, when the Oscars happens on Sunday, if, if say, Michelle Yeoh wins, he's going to go up and get it, take it for himself. Anyway, uh, to be clear, what happens to customers? Let's let's get that. Silicon Valley Bank isn't really for retail customers, although I've had several friends who I was shocked had accounts there all under $250,000. They were worried. I was like, you'll get out the FDIC insurance, so you, you, you should be fine. But a lot of other people who are not people I thought were in there. Um, but it has specialized clientele, funding startups and tech projects. Know very well. A long time ago, they they backed. Uh, I think one of our code conferences or or something. You know, they were very they were very into marketing events, things like that. Known uh, SVB customers: Roku, 500 million; Circle, 3.3 billion; Roblox, 150 million; Vox Media. I couldn't get Jim Bankoff to tell me, uh, but its credit card stopped working. And our producers really want me to ask: Will they get paid uh, this month? They will. Uh, because uh, Penske Media, has, who has just made an investment in Vox, has agreed to, um, to do the same thing, to make sure there's cash on hand uh, to be able to pay those things. But what, what, what should customers do? Well, again, if, if they have under 250000 they're okay. If they're like Circle and have $3 billion, uh, you know, then they're gonna ha- it's going to be a long wait to, to get that. Three billion. I mean, I think in in Wamu, if I have this correct, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase made all those depositors whole on, mm-hmm. on their money. I mean, yeah. there's no there's no reason, you know, that they shouldn't uh, get it. I mean, I I've heard this one venture capitalist told me today that, and I don't know about this, this is pure speculation that the FDIC has some sort of special powers that they can force borrowers, uh, you know, to repay their loans oh, sooner a lot of loans so that the money people. comes in sooner so they can be paid mm-hmm. out to the depositors. I'm not sure why you would disadvantage borrowers for the benefit of depositors. I'm not sure how that would work. But, you know, I think it's just a question of whether, A, somebody comes along to buy them and then they'll be in pretty good shape, uh, B, whether and whether the Fed will allow that to happen, B, whether somebody comes along to buy some of it and then it'll be touch and go, to, or, or C, it's just liquidated, and that's going right. to be a long process in trouble. Yeah. And, and Scott, what should companies be telling their boards and investors right now? Uh, I can tell you, as someone who's on the board, you got to, some of the companies I'm involved in got their money out, others did not. And it's like, it's, there's only one thing you can do, and that is communicate in a very transparent way immediately. This is what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is how much we have in there. This is what we've been told. And then move to, uh, you know, any sort of this is what our plans are in terms of liquidity. I haven't seen or heard of a company that is not going to be able to make payroll. The VCs know that, okay, they're going to get most or all of their money back, or at least that's what they believe. So they're willing to provide bridge financing. But the, 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 I think the interesting conversation here is one around whether this company gets bailed out or not. Um, and whether it is a bailout in moral hazard. And I would argue this really isn't a traditional bailout. And I've seen all this this chatter on Twitter that, mm-hmm. well, Why you can't. Why bail out the VCs? Yeah. Right. We're bailing out, you know, this is capitalism on the way up. I've said this. Socialism on the way down is cronyism. 
But use Delta as an example. Delta was bailed out, and basically management got to hold on to their options, and shareholders got bailed out. The shareholders and management here are toast. They've been wiped out. Mm-hmm. The question is, for a low amount of money, could you reduce systemic risk, reduce concentration of power, and keep the tech economy humming at a fairly low number? Mm-hmm. I mean, t- it, it would be as if you said, okay, we're not going to bail out Delta, but any passenger who had bought a ticket, we're going to give them their money or credit for a future flight because we're worried that passengers are only going to fly on American and no one else, and yeah. it's going to be bad for the industry. So I think there's... I think as the weekend progresses, the biggest the biggest uh, checkbook in the world gets mm-hmm. the five biggest banks in the room and says, "Who whoever we have to do the lease for in terms of backstopping mm-hmm. gets this, and gets a series of unbelievable relationships and assets." It strikes me that there's real incentive here for all for 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 it to settle by Monday, right? Soon as possible, right, Bill? They got to do. It. Look, Kara, this is a confidence game. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, borrowing short and lending long is the world's oldest and riskiest confidence game. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so you've got to restore confidence as quickly as you can. Now, it's not 2008 because these this bank is not at the, as Central I said, the, the left ventricle of capitalism like Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers and Merrill Lynch were. But- it's a significant part of a major ecosystem that we kind of celebrate in this country and we like, mm-hmm. right? So we've got to restore confidence so that the contagion doesn't spread to, you know, First Third or First Republic or, right. or, or other banks. Right. or the other banks, Because right. that'll be trouble. Uh, and so, you know, the sooner they can restore confidence, the better. Even over but the weekend. I think it, I've heard you know, from several companies. They're like, why aren't they saying anything? Why aren't they being louder? Like they, they're sort of, they're all kind of wandering around, banging into walls. Yeah, well, no, you know, nobody said much, and I know it's different and smaller, but nobody said much uh, when FTX went down. I didn't hear from yeah. the Fed on that. Yeah. You know, it's not a dissimilar situation, except there was there was alleged major fraud, mm-hmm. uh, but the run on the bank aspect was similar. I mean, what I don't understand is why this message of how dangerous borrowing short is in lending long never gets out there. And what the heck were these guys doing investing in bonds and mortgage-backed yeah. securities yeah. at the height of the irrational so, bond so market? So this, this bad management by SVB absolutely has to be investigated. They had no reportedly had no chief risk officer between April 2022 right. and January. The CEO, Greg Becker, lobbied against Dodd-Frank regulations in 2015. Sold some of his own stock? Sold sold more than three million dollars in stock over the last two weeks. He's also no longer on the board of the San Francisco Fed as of Friday. One account, Raging Capital Ventures, flagged issues with its held to maturity bonds back in January. So people were looking at this. Where were the regulators? Uh, I believe the answer is nowhere. I mean, it, granted, the yields were ridiculously low. And it was the top of the market, but they had been ridiculously low for years. And I think a lot of people fell into this dangerous cold comfort of thinking we were going to be in a permanent low interest rate environment. I mean, what what has happened over the last 12 months is historic since 1979. I don't think anyone could anticipate that. And I agree with you that it wasn't good cash management 
I'm an idiot about money, and I was aware of it. But go ahead. Go, go ahead. You know, I do not like to disagree with Scott. Please. But please do. The Fed's do. zero interest rate policy, quantitative easing policies had gone on for 13 years, had driven interest rates to the lowest levels in recorded history. So there was only one way this could go. Now, did it have to go as quickly as it's gone in the last year? Probably, but it never should have been that low for that long. And so knowing that, and I'm sorry, you know, I've been writing about this in the pages of the New York Times op-ed section for years. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you were a, a fiduciary for shareholders, stakeholders, creditors, depositors, at the, as the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, it's, it is financial malpractice to put that much money into bonds at the top of the market. Let's assume the world agrees with you. Management, shareholders have been wiped out. Deservedly they're so. They're done. They fucked up. They're, they're done. The question now is, should depositors be made whole? And, should, and th the regulatory question you asked is the soft tissue around regulation here is one, cash management. Should there be constraints around cash management, what you can invest in? And specifically, the problem here was they weren't forced to mark their book along the way. They were allowed to say these securities are worth what they'll be worth when they mature in three years, not what they're worth now if we had to sell them in a liquidity crunch, which would have created a different complexion of public reporting for this company. That's yeah, a, a, that is where the soft tissue on the regulation is. So I want to be clear. These guys, this was bad cash management. I would argue a lot of very reputable companies could be accused of the same thing 14 or 15 months ago. Uh, the question is, should you make depositors whole such that you don't create a march towards huge concentration and contagion? At, and, and you could do it, in my view, at very low cost to the government. Uh, I think that's what's going on right now. And I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Remember just a few days ago when, for the first time ever, a United States president got convicted of a felony? Of 34 felonies, the first thing he said was, of course, the whole trial was rigged. I'm a very innocent man. But the second thing he said was... The country's gone to hell. He was weirdly talking all of a sudden about immigration. By millions and millions of people pouring into our country right now from prisons and from mental institutions, terrorists. The next day he spoke about his guilty verdicts again. This time, immigration was the first thing he wanted to talk about. When you look at our country, what's happening where millions and millions of people are flowing in from all parts of the world, not just South America, from Africa, from Asia, from the Middle East. It's an election year and the leading Republican candidate, maybe the leading candidate, period, wants to make it all about immigration. So we're going to do the same on Today Explained with two episodes this week. Come over and join us. Give them a listen. Old people are always worried about the state of young people. But psychologist Jonathan Haidt thinks there's a serious case that social media has harmed this generation of kids. By 2015, everything's different. You're now posting stuff and hoping strangers will like it or follow you. You are not active as much. You don't touch as much. You don't put your arm around anyone as much. You're not out in nature as much. You don't laugh as much. Hear more this week on The Gray Area. So let's talk about 
about those depositors. The SVB failure came after Silvergate said it plans to shut down. Bloomberg said those what these two in, have in common is an unusually fickle depositor base. They certainly are fickle. One of the, my favorite tweets was, no atheists in a foxhole, no libertarians in a bank run. Uh, they were all calling for, where's the government, and things like that. So these depositors, are they fickle? I mean, they, they, they move fast. They certainly move fast, and they're all finger-pointing at each other as who moved too fast and knocked the, you know, knocked the Jenga block out. I think they're pointing a lot at uh, certain people. I mean, I don't know. What do you do for Circle, which has $3 yeah. billion of its cash yeah, one in place. one place? I don't know. What is that? You can't have 10 that, banks, though. That starts, you know, you can't, like, put your money well, in 10 that's banks, Mark Cuban's point, right? Well, but if you did, you wouldn't be having this problem. So what's right. the cost of – I don't – what does it cost to have a bank account? Not really much if you have a certain amount in there. Yeah, I mean, there's a little more paperwork involved. Spread it around. I say gold in the mattress. That's how I work. No, I don't. I but don't but just to push on that, Bill, I'm not saying I don't agree with you, but the, that general, doesn't that lead to there's basically three banks over time? And maybe that's the way it should be. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank had $200 billion. Doesn't if we're if, if this kind of black swan event can happen— and and 20 people can take a, the depositors down maybe they should they i i think they should be able to take the bank down they did the shareholders get wiped out should they be able to take the depositors down because if that's the case i think we end up with two or three banks in the united states because i i will take everything i have and put it at one of three banks that are the most bulletproof i think that's why wouldn't you well for, first of all there needs to be a huge consolidation of banks anyway. I mean, why do we have so many banks? I don't really know the answer. Maybe because they, people can make money because banking like is a, you know, if you, it's incredibly risky, as I said, but it's also a great business, especially in a time period when the Fed is making money free. I mean, what other business on the face of the earth uh, has its cost of goods sold for for zero uh, and its raw material for free. No wonder J.P. Morgan Chase made forty eight billion dollars in net income in twenty twenty one because it's a great business uh, when it's run intelligently and the risks are uh, acknowledged and managed properly. So I think we're far from you know a concentration of banks, but I do take your point that uh, you know people are going to say, as you said, especially at the board level, should we risk you know, putting our money in uh, a regional bank. And it could it could knock the legs out of these regional banks that also are boutique banks that specialize in certain industries, right, like this one did. This is the 16th largest bank in America, and I'll speak as an entrepreneur that used SVB and a bunch of other banks. They give me um, venture debt. When I start up, they're willing to give me great terms and just warrants on venture debt that finance my companies early on, that I really needed that financing. Really great service. And there's a ton of competition out there. And I did business with Co2, and I've done business with Goldman. And that competition has lowered the costs on me, the entrepreneur, such that I have a greater likelihood of success in creating jobs and creating economic growth. A robust, competitive banking system is just great for the ecosystem. I worry that if ultimately, if depositors aren't made whole here, every future depositor just goes, I'm going to one of three banks, full stop, no matter what. And the fees slowly but surely get increased on every business, which which dampens economic activity. 
I, I and really the think expertise there's expertise also. This was a bank that spent understood it. That's one of the complaints here. It might have been a little too close. They gave mortgages to people based yeah. on their stuff. We have this incredibly robust banking system. What was interesting is in the same 15 minutes, I received emails from VCs at two at two VCs backing two different companies I'm involved in. One was get your money out now, now. And the other was, and these are all boats here, one VCs. The other was, keep calm and carry on. Nothing to worry about. See, what, what Scott has described, yeah. if I may, please, is, is a risky business model. It's great for the entrepreneur. I get it. They're making me mortgages with no money down. They're giving me lines of credit that I probably don't deserve. They're they're investing <laughs> equity. They're taking yeah. warrants. Scott, I mean, you're they're risky, doing all of these things. Bad, it's, bad, bad. It's a bad business model. It's not a smart credit business nope, to not believe. To believe wrong. you're going to get no. your money back. Great for the entrepreneur. Lousy. Okay, bank. let's let's agree with you. It's a bad business. The business should be allowed to fail. The shareholders should get wiped out. The question is, should depositors be made whole or not? Who should the depositors who decided to concentrate their hard-earned cash in right. this risky business model? The 16th biggest bank in America. I don't care but, if it's the okay. first largest. So you right. uh, and, and there's a there's a, but I, I just want to push on this. And this is a decent argument in a decent position. You believe ultimately the best solution is we end up with a small handful of just bulletproof, hugely capitalized banks. No, I think that's leaping too far to a conclusion. I think, you know, letting this one bank with this risky business model go down. I don't look, I'm I'm an incredibly empathetic person. I don't want people to suffer, the depositors to suffer. I want the shareholders to suffer. I want the management to suffer. I want maybe some creditors to suffer. Done. Done and done. I don't want depositors to suffer. On the other hand, if you're circle and you've got three billion at this yeah, place, that's a lot. That right, was that was right, a number. That was an right. eye popping number. It was a little bit not thinking clearly. We've been watching layoffs galore. Does this pour gas on the big tech dumpster fire? There is a lot of schadenfreude for, for the tech space. A lot of stuff. I don't want to pay for these tech people. You know, why should we save this? Sort of akin to why should we save the airlines? Why should we save this? But does it make it worse? Very brief answer. First build on Scott. I think in the short term, it makes it worse because people don't know if they're going to be able to make their payroll payments. If they can't make their payroll, then guess what? They lay off people. All right. And in the long term? In the long term, everything's going to be just fine. Uh, we'll be both dead and just fine because, uh, you know, the opportunity will is vast, right? Uh, yeah. Just because one bank is gone doesn't mean that there won't be all sorts of competitors rising up. Maybe this is what David Sol how David Solomon will make his mark in, you know, tech yeah, finally. Land, finally. Finally. He doesn't have to kiss up to me as a bank. Scott, very briefly. Management and boards are looking for any excuse to lay off people, and they just got another one. They got another one. Oh, that's a good way to put it. All right. Very last question. Monday, I want your guess on what's going to happen, the one thing that's going to happen. Lay it out for people. Bill. I think there's going to be an announcement that somebody's buying parts of this carcass. Okay, Scott? Yeah, as light a touch backstop from the government and a big well-capitalized bank is, uh, is, is taking over this bank and gets a great deal and depositors uh, have about a one hour sigh of relief. Until? 
or as we speak, I think the paperwork is being drawn up and a bank is saying to the government, I need okay. you to take those bonds, backstop me, and the government probably is trying to get a bidding war saying, we want to backstop you as little as possible. And a bank's going to end up with with half of every VC-backed company's banking business on Monday morning. All right. Well, that's it. I think we should start a bank, the three of us. Caro you know? yeah. <laughs> says that. I think we should start a lot of things. They, these people don't seem very smart, Scott. That's what I'm pointing out. Bill's got the hair to be the CEO. I know. Bill, Bill should be the CEO. Yeah. But you guys have the smarts. I'll be the guy. I'll be the fall guy. That's what I am. First time we fuck up, I'm the guy that gets fired. Okay. But doing these shows, we really appreciate, uh, Bill, you coming right. on. Scott, thank you for your insights. Thanks, Bill. My pleasure. Everybody, calm down. It's a difficult time, but it's also not the end of the world. And these things, we've gone through worse, of course. That's always the excuse. Can I just make a comment on that? I've sure. had a bunch of entrepreneurs call me. I've had, yeah. uh, I've been counting them, 11 entrepreneurs call me and say, I had, I raised $22 million. Six weeks ago, I had 17 at SVB. And they're literally like, you can, you can feel yeah. their head in their hands. Yeah. And the one thing that is always I always hold on to is nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems. Trust me, this is it's not as bad as it seems. True. That is, I would agree, uh, Bill. Totally agree with that. I mean, I thought the I literally thought we were going to have a financial meltdown in 2008, yeah, and too. the banks came back. The ones that survived stronger than ever. Yeah. Forty-eight billion in net income at J.P. Morgan in 2021. Then calm down, boys of Silicon Valley. You'll get your money, as always. And just again, I want to make that disclosure. Vox Media has significant deposits there, too. So we want to make sure you understand that. No more snacks. No more snacks. (laughs) We're done with the oat milk. Finally, Jim can dump the oat milk. Anyway, uh, I asked him on the show, by the way, and he declined very politely. Anyway, Scott, Bill, that's the emergency show. We'll be back on Tuesday with more Pivot. We will have a lot more answers to discuss. Scott, read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Thanks also to Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back Tuesday for a breakdown of all things tech and business. Thank you, Bill Cohen. Thank you all. Thank you. An emergency. We're here for you in an emergency, our listeners. Mm-hmm.